Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. You have found the Hawkeye Hotspot podcast here on hawkfanatic.com. Um, if it's not the podcast you're looking for, I'm sorry. You can hang around or you can go away. Um, either way, either way is okay. Hopefully you'll hang around if you have an interest in Iowa football. Um, I am your host, Rob Howe. Uh, we are recording on Thursday, August the 26th. At about 9.15 a.m. Central Time, I am joined by Scott Docterman from The Athletic. Um, and this is our last non-football game week for a while, Scott. So uh, we're going to focus on football preview today, just kind of previewing the Iowa season with some fun uh, little exercises to do that. Um, and then next week, we'll focus more on previewing Indiana. Uh, and then go week to week previewing whatever Saturday's or Friday night's game is that week. Um, Scott, this is his last week uh, upstairs where uh, there's a potential for Zilla the cat to jump on his back. Um, he will be back <laughs> in his refurbished offices downstairs next week. Yeah, it's been a long summer, man. Um, we, both, <laughs> we both have had water issues. Uh, those have been rectified and improved upon. But even before that, you know, with two kids leaving, it was like their basement was like this moving ground. And now, now it's like, wow, I'm downstairs. Everything looks just about right. Got a few things left to kind of move around. And uh, I'm excited about the opportunity to move downstairs and get ready for game week. And, uh, but yeah, Zilla could be uh, running on my shoulder here. Uh, it, I would say somewhere around 1030 to, to 11 is, is usually his time for missing people. So we'll keep, keep you posted on that. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll let you know if he makes an appearance this week or not. Um, Scott, let's start with uh, more of a national story, uh, which is local as well. And we're going to focus, focus on the Alliance as it's come to be called, um, on a more of a micro uh, basis here with Iowa and kind of how it impacts Iowa and Iowa State, because uh, that's really the question for Iowa at this point, um, because there's really not, as Scott can explain, and, and, I, and I recommend people checking out The Athletic for a macro look at where, where we are right now. And this story seems to change every day. Yesterday, the antitrust lawyers i mean 
this thing's far from getting over. I don't really even know being over. I should say I don't even really know where we are, Scott. <laughs> With the alliance, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, what do we have here? Uh, this is kind of the equivalent of uh, the end of what Revenge of the Sith when uh, Yoda goes away <laughs> and uh, the Emperor and Darth Vader. No, I'm just kidding. I just like the name of it, the Alliance. It just sounds so official when in truth it's really unofficial. I don't know what we've got. I, really, I think it comes from, it stems from two things. One, the SEC and plucking Oklahoma and Texas. We're not talking about Oklahoma State and Texas Tech. We're talking Oklahoma and Texas to turn that property into something unbelievable. I mean, it is going to be the biggest and most, uh, the best entity there is in, in collegiate sports. And I think everybody recognizes that. So, but then at the same time, to, to watch what Greg Sankey did to a member of his four member working group and Bob Bowlesby and stab him in the back. I mean, basically sleep with his spouse, um, the whole time while he was going out for golf, <laughs> you know, that's pretty much what we're talking about here. That the the three leagues that were shut out of the, all of those negotiations are now saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If you guys did this over here and you just took their best properties, now you want to institute this 12-team playoff field. It turns ESPN from the nation's leading um, media rights company to the powerhouse one because it owns the SEC and then potentially uh, through these negotiations the 12 team playoff that's why I think the Big Ten the ACC and the Pac-12 are saying let's slow things down because they would like to see more media partners be a part of this potentially uh, whether it's to drive up the rights fees or because they feel some loyalty especially the Big Ten and Pac-12 to Fox that they feel like Fox needs to have a voice or at least an effort to try to, to build this rather than just go from four teams to 12 um, in this playoff field and have it all go to ESPN, which again, can cross promote the SEC and then turn both of them, just kind of funnel upwards. Everybody else is staying stagnant. So that's totally understandable. And the working relationship that the three leagues have, I mean, the Big Ten and Pac-12 have, have been partners really since the 40s with the Rose Bowl. I mean, they cooperate the Rose Bowl. And, and, and that's, um, it's, it's, it's in a three-tiered triangle with the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and the Tournament of Roses Parade, they operate the Rose Bowl. So the ACC has some cooperation, especially with the new commissioner there, Jim Phillips, uh, former Northwestern AD, who um, was the smartest guy I, I had met in sports. Um, I, I thought really highly of him, and he would have made a great commissioner for the, the Big Ten. That said, uh, there was just so much va- so much vagities <laughs> associated with this, what came out, that I think it's just basically a, a mission statement, if you will, of, hey, we're going to cooperate on a bunch of things, guys, and, uh, and try to see this through. And, and nobody's forced to be in this, but we just think it's a good idea for all of us to kind of uh, hang out. And I think the, the underlying factor is we need to be a counterweight to the SEC because we know the Big 12 is going down and the SEC is, is going to be the biggest entity out there. And we need to make sure that our vo- voices matter and count and we're going to work collectively to ensure that. So that's kind of the macro view. But Rob, as we know, um, in Iowa, there, there are a lot of other issues. Yeah, and it's, you know, again, I, I get it. Um, the hand-wringing about the Iowa-Iowa State Cyhawk football game. But really, we really have, <laughs> we 
have no input on this whatsoever. This is really going to, is, you know, whatever these conferences feel like is going to make them the most money. That's what this is all about. Uh, the contract runs through 2025. So it's not, it sounds like at least from what they've said to this point, and you just never know, things can change. Those contracts certainly can, can be um, gotten out of. Uh, there's language that can make that happen. Uh, but it sounds like they want to keep those contracts in place, which would save the Iowa-Iowa State game at least through halfway through this decade. Um, and then after that, we'll see. Um, I don't know. I think we're just too far away to worry about it at this point, Scott. I agree. And I think right now what we're looking at is, and any question that we have for Gary Barta about this, and I, I think it, next week he's probably going to talk um, on Yay. Tuesday. Yay. Where's so he been? On vacation. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was like at CFP meetings when we had media day and all that stuff. But, but we really, there's a lot of different t- issues that we need to hear from the athletic director. And, but I do think that. I hope he's yeah. had a good summer. We haven't yeah. seen him in a while. Right. I agree with that. I think he's just been probably suntanning, you know, doing some, doing some gardening, probably. Boating. <laughs> Boating. Yeah. He's out, been out on Okaboji all summer, you know, trying to get his NIL rights. But uh, I think what will happen and what we'll hear for this year and beyond, at least for the next few years, is we have a contract in place through 2025 we have we have no plans to to eliminate that contract or do anything with it if we have to we will but otherwise we'll just put, keep playing the games and then in 2025 or close enough to it then the big 10 you know and, and iowa will know what the landscape will be closer to you know with the big 12 will the big 12 cease to exist will it join you know will a team like iowa state join another league you know will it be in the pac-12 will it be in the acc will it be somewhere else where it behooves Iowa to go ahead and continue that series, or will they be in a, you know, let's say a second tier type league and does Iowa look at it and go, you know, we, we can wait this out as long as we want, especially now that they have a policy with the ACC and PAC 12 that they could wait till 2024 or 20, even 2025 to decide whether or not, well, we're not going to renew this and we're just going to go to this, alliance and see hey can we play somebody from the acc next year on the road and or on at home whatever mm-hmm. and i think that's something that'll end up happening but i think the biggest factor that we're going to look at here is what does it do for the big 10 in their scheduling uh next year it will be a nine game year in 2022 that it will be redone it's not going to it's not going to sink the same way because six different games during the covid year got changed got flipped locations and so the the, the synchronicity of the, those kind yeah. of have flipped from here on out so they're going to do that and then they're going to they're going to keep everybody's going to keep the same opponents they're just going to redo uh you know shuffle them to make sure that somebody's not playing three straight road games or whatever 2023 is on the table as far as are they going to go to nine say at nine games go to eight you know start moving the, these games ahead of time you know the pack 12 uh, plays nine league games through 2024 through its media rights agreement. See, the Big Ten's media rights agreement is up after 2022 football season. So it has a chance to do whatever it wants for 2023. And I could say, look, yeah, we're going to replace that extra game, but we're also going to fill it up with games against all these teams. Now, 
I don't think the the networks are going to be going and saying yippee if if you get Wake Forest and Purdue, but um, they will if it's um, you know we'll just be local here Iowa versus North Carolina or Virginia Tech that might be a pretty good game um, or Oregon or whatever I just hope that if it's Arizona or Arizona State that they play those games in November instead of September. <laughs> For a fun exercise here, Scott, let, let you tell me, because obviously we get to this, you know, Hatfield and McCoy um, dynamic with the Iowa and Iowa State people. And, uh, you know, the Iowa fans are like, well, we, we want to play somebody else anyway. We want to play, you know, a school that's more exciting than Iowa State. We're bored with Iowa State. It doesn't do any. What's the saying? We, we can't. We get we have. It's not a. We, we can't win. We win. We're supposed to win. We lose. And, you know, it does nothing for us. Yeah, that, that's not true this year for sure. <laughs> no. But yeah, for, for the sake yeah. of argument here, I'm going to go through the Pac-12 schools. And you, okay, USC against Iowa, that's more, that's more attractive than Iowa-Iowa State. Oregon, yeah, I would say so. Um, UCLA? Mm. Eh. Uh, Cal? No. Oregon State? No. Stanford? Uh, no. Nah. Wow, there's a little history there now. You got yeah. the band story. Right. <laughs> the, band, the band story itself right. would make that a, a good storyline. Mm, right. I mean, like the Washington schools, the Huskies, yes. The Cougars, no. I mean, if Mike Leach was still there, that might make it intriguing. Um, I'm I, saying more attractive than Iowa State for the, for uh, people in this state, okay. for people in Iowa, for the Iowa fans in I, the, the Iowa, Iowa fans. and Iowa State, or or the Iowa fans. Yeah, you would rather play. Iowa. You would rather play USC. That's a more attractive yeah, game. You're more hyped sure. up for a game against USC than you are Iowa State. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, but I can't say that about Cal, Oregon. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Oregon State, no. Stanford, comparable. Washington, I think. Washington, yes. Yeah. Washington State, no. I don't really don't think either of the Arizona schools. You know what do you? And, and that's the thing you've got to ask yourself is, and I understand the, this point of view from probably about twenty percent of the fan base. Just get them off the schedule. They're just very vocal. Right. on Twitter and, and social media about get you know, it doesn't do anything for us. Well, it, it does. I mean, it's a rivalry game and it matters to the players and the players are always kind of my barometer for these types of things. And over the years, I've asked these players, you know, over and over and over again, their rival, who do they see as their rival? And most of them, the first one they mentioned is Iowa state. It just is. It's in state. They're pretty good. Now they're a power five school. Um, there's a history now. I mean, it's almost 50 years that they've played every year, but the COVID year. And, and uh, you know, it's a program that consistently goes to bowl games and gets ranked. So now is not that time to, to start, you know, looking down your nose at them. Now I would say in 2025 and beyond, let's say, let's say the big 12 dissolves or, uh, or even if it stays semi intact, but, the teams it picks up are Cincinnati or BYU or Boise State or something like that. And it, so it really looks more like a second tier league. Then does it move the needle enough for Iowa? 
that's something that you can really discuss. And I think it's, it's fair to discuss. And, and that would be a very unpopular choice if Iowa says we're going to end this series. But I think it's something that's, that's up for discussion if the Big 12 is, is taken down a notch and in prestige and if it's no longer a Power 5 uh, conference. But, you know, out, out of this consortium, this alliance, the, the only ones that I look at and I go, yes, absolutely. Um, and, the, and the West Coast, like we said, you know, Oregon, USC, Stanford. Washington. I'd say Washington. Those are like the three that I would say, yes, I think that's more important than Iowa State. And I think there's a bunch of them that you could say, yeah, I can see it. You know, Colorado or Utah. Utah's been a pretty good program. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the ACC, Notre Dame, which is semi-connected. Yes, absolutely. The Florida State and Miami. Yeah, probably. Uh, Clemson, for sure. Uh, Virginia Tech is a maybe. Uh, but the rest, do you really want to play? All right, we're going to play Boston College instead of Iowa State. I mean, yeah, let's make another trip to the Carrier Dome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, Heinz Field, Duke, you know, Georgia Tech. You know, I mean, I guess if you play Georgia Tech at the at the Dome, whatever it's called now, the Merce- or is it at the Mercedes one, or is that a different one? I can't remember because I get that one in the Superdome got. New- I think Mercedes is Atlanta, but I can't. Remember. But okay, if you're going to play Georgia Tech to start the season in Atlanta, that's that's not bad. But I'd rather play Virginia Tech or North Carolina doing that. So I, I only see a handful, you know, five to six to seven teams that you would say they're better. But even then, you're taking the rivalry component out. That that is the most focused day in the state of Iowa on football. It's a lot of fun, and, and our market is different than the one in East, uh, Central Iowa, where it is the clearly the biggest day of the year. So, uh, it's a complicated issue. I think you're also dealing with you know Iowa fans, and Iowa feels they would feel like okay, USC, Clemson, th- those are yeah, we'll take those. In reality. You're looking more at like what the ACC Big Ten basketball challenge is mm-hmm. like. Iowa right. may get in North Carolina here and there, you know, but, you know, most years it's going to be Virginia Tech in basketball or who else have they played? Pitt or no, have they played Pitt? Yeah, they played Pitt a few years ago. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be less attractive games than Iowa, Iowa State football. I think mm-hmm. for, the, for the most part, you may get a real, a marquee game once every five years, but for the most part, you're going to get Arizona state or yeah. Oregon state or something mm-hmm. like that. And, and that's where the big Ten's decision to, to stay with nine or eight games matters, especially for Iowa. Sure. And that is if, if they drop to eight games, then you can have both ways. If you want it both ways, you know, which is, Hey, we want to continue our, in-state rivalry with Iowa State, and we want to play one of these Power Five teams, which is really what they did all you know all those years when they were playing a Arizona or Arizona State or a Pitt or Syracuse, and and so really there's no difference than what it was pre 2016. The but the issue is then you start going okay, what about um, you know what about uh, you know the Iowa State series if Iowa State again falls down? What if you know, and, and you've got to be prepared for all these contingencies, which is what if Matt Campbell has a great year this year and bolts 
and Iowa State returns to the Rhodes era or the Gene Chizik era or any other era practically before Matt Campbell, and it's in a subpar league, is that worth it to Iowa? Because you know what's going to happen that year. They go 12-0 and 0 or 11-1 and 1 and get put in a playoff discussion, and your only non-conference game uh, against a major opponent is Iowa State, and they're 2-10, and 10, and you're going to have Callan Coward and everybody else running you down something ragged. So you do have to be cognizant of that. You know, your reputation is worth more than the rivalry. It's just, you know, uh, it, it's going to be what the Big Ten wants to do and how, you know, does the Big Ten see everybody playing the ACC and Pac-12 with more regularity more important than playing each other with regularity? Does this mean that you only play, um, you know, if you keep the divisional structure, do you play Michigan State? once every five years or, you know, Ohio state, well, you never play them anyway. So what the hell? Uh, so I, I think, or do you say, all right, let's go to this model, which is going to be discussed, which is three permanent rivals and cycle everybody through for eight games. And then, you know, then everybody gets four non-conference and, and we want you to as best as you can pick two uh, out of that pile. Well, okay. I think you, you can you can work with it or at least one so but it's it's not anything that's that's pressing it's not going to happen tomorrow there's an 80s working group that's going to work all the way through the fall to kind of help with the logistics and it wouldn't shock me at all if this thing falls apart yeah as we mentioned nothing is in writing i think i think it was just a way to for those three conferences to get themselves out there you know, publicly, we, we could debate whether or not they did, yeah. a, good job, did yeah. a good job of that and actually uh, ref, it reflected well on them. I, I don't think it did, um, just in terms of, you know, looking like they had their shit together. It looked like they were just kind of throwing things at the wall. Um, but, yeah. there, I mean, we're going to see a lot of movement and ideas and discussions now going forward um and the sec's got it made right now they they're on the they're the king of the hill for now and you know we'll see if smart minds can think of ways to counteract that i don't think they're close to being there yet but we'll see yeah you look at the sec's to it's you know two separate previous levels of expansion over the last 30 years and nothing approaches this these two schools and that was Arkansas and South Carolina nice additions um, they've had relative success passionate fan bases sure but nothing no they don't move the needle per se uh, Texas A&M and Missouri kind of the same way I think A&M is probably better than the other three but still it's on the national level it's not like oh wow they got Missouri you know I mean Missouri won the east like but it's first two years or two out of first three years in the league. So it was, it was kind of funny how it came in and dominated, but these two, I mean, even though Texas hasn't had a lot of success, it's just such a, it, it's such a behemoth financially and in, in prestige. And I wonder how it's going to work in that structure because it's for its whole existence, it's been able to dictate terms to everybody in its league, whether that was the Southwest conference, the big 12, all the, the people exiting it now, it's got to work together with everybody in, in equal concert. And that's going to be, well, I don't know about this. So that and, uh, you know, Oklahoma, which is a national power. So I think uh, the Big Ten and the ACC and the Pac-12 are smart to get together. 
Um, smart to say we're working together um, to form an official alliance. I look at the Big Ten and I say, why? You're, you're supposed to be the number one on the block. And there's really nothing that Kevin Warren told, told anybody, has said, that makes me that convinces me that this is a great idea for the Big Ten. It just kind of looks like the Big Ten's going along. And the Big Ten, under Jim Delaney, looked at itself as first among equals. And now it kind of looks at itself as eh, we're with everybody else. So I think that's something that the Big Ten needs to get rectified fairly soon. Yeah, I think the main um, the main peg in this whole thing, Scott, is the TV. You know, the Big Ten has Fox, Fox Big Ten Network. Um, you know, now, as you said, the smart thing is to tap the brakes on the playoff and make sure that ESPN doesn't dominate this and form what essentially would be a monopoly with the SEC. So now that's that's your counter move right here in my mind is the TV rights deal for this playoff. Say, hey, whoa, whoa, ESPN is not getting exclusive here. That's yeah. I think that's how you counter to a few of the other conferences. Absolutely. And, and I think it, it's, this is, you know, part of the partnership with the Big Ten uh, and, you know, it, uh, Fox owns 51 percent of the Big Ten network. At the beginning, it was flipped. They owned 49 uh, percent. But now it's 51. And I think it, it's really it behooves everybody to, to let's slow this down. I mean, the SEC just left CBS. Yep. There are more suitors on the table, potentially. There could be more revenue for everybody. And I know the ESPN is going, whoa, we don't want to pay more money because they don't have to, because they just figure they can just take this whole thing and put it under their their umbrella and they'll be fine. But I just don't, I, I think it's, it's, it's a really smart move and it allows Fox to get in on the bidding. Um, and ESPN, I think we could safely say has had probably too much influence on the sport to begin with. Uh, it, it's dictated a lot of the different things and mechanisms from matchups to bowls, to, to the playoff, to the, the weekly shows that really influence the rankings and everything else that I think this may be a way to kind of balance it out. And if that, you know, hopefully it elevates what Fox does, but Fox has to get smart too. I don't think Fox, I think this 11 AM on Fox thing is a, uh, is a BS fan. I, I think it's time for them to, to step up to the table and, and start moving the best games of the day to either prime time or mid afternoon, because that's just, everybody is a vision for, for generations that the 11 AM game is somehow subpar and to try to turn it into something great when it's still the hottest time of day. It's just not, you know, may, maybe if you want to do that in November, I can understand it, but I just, you know, like the Oklahoma Nebraska thing, which I, I think pushed Oklahoma. It was one more needle on a stack of needles that collapsed the whole structure that, that they, you know, because I was got to play at Wisconsin at 11 a.m. We know that there are going to be 20,000 students still getting drunk in the parking lot before that game. Yes. And um, I think Fox still has that NFL mindset, different to have that early afternoon game for NFL on a Sunday than it is on Saturday, um, different eyeballs, things like yeah. that. And then they have the baseball stuff too, that they're dealing with um, yeah. baseball playoffs, but they need to figure that stuff out and do what they can for college football. Um, and we'll see how that goes going forward. Um, 
Let's hop into some Iowa discussion, Scott. We'll go micro. Now we'll go really micro here. <laughs> Stick with the Iowa stuff. Um, let's go through. Uh, let's go through the schedule, and you listening can follow along and pick um, pick your winners throughout the schedule. Here, I'm going to bring this up. It's pretty much committed to memory, but I don't want to sound like an idiot and get something wrong here. So yeah. I'm going to bring the schedule up here on my computer and we can go game by game we know the first game is indiana win or loss scott i think iowa wins this game and i think it's semi-decisive i mean i don't think it's going to be like 24 nothing but i think it could be 24 13 and part of my reasoning is michael Penix, even though he is the most exciting quarterback in the big 10 entering the season um, they have playmakers all over the, the field. They have a new running back. They have, and their defense is, fan, it is really good, no question in my mind. That, so that's going to be a grind for Iowa. But I do like Iowa's running attack. I think Iowa was the better team last year. I think if they would have played, it would have proven that. But, you know, here's a couple of statistics from last year that I think are relevant in this game. One is um, – they were 116th in yards per carry last year at 3.13, uh, 114th in rushing yards per game at 108. And maybe just as important is that they were 111th in third down passing percentage. When you throw those three factors in there and yards per play, they were 99, so they weren't great there either. When you throw those in there, you see an offense that's built on big plays and uh, down, getting down the field. Um, it's not a grinded out offense. It's not one that can sustain drives. Well, what does Iowa do? Iowa forces you to do that. Iowa's bend, but don't break, but simply their geometry in the secondary is best in the country by far in my eyes. They, they, they play a two gap defense up front that forces you to, if you're going to run the ball, you've got to run it against seven guys and they're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to, to run, you know, with five, six yards of carry. So they're going to have to do something that they're not that they're not used to doing. And let's face it, last year, yes, they beat Penn State, disputably, Michigan, Michigan State, but all those teams were down at, at historic levels. I mean, Michigan was the worst. That's the worst Michigan team I have ever seen. It's not close. Uh, Penn State lost its first five games in what 60, 70, 80 years, something like that. And Michigan State, frankly, we saw Iowa beat them 49 to 7. So I I I like Iowa in this one. I do think it's going to be physical and tough, but at home, forcing Indiana to do things it's not really comfortable doing. I think the Hawkeyes win this game, and um, to in you know, I, I think a, a double-digit margin is, is certainly possible. Yeah, and I, just overall, I don't know how much stock to put in the last year, whether it be the good or the bad, or you know, because so many teams were affected by. Um, the pandemic last year, guys in and out, you know, it started for Iowa early with, you know, in training, having guys, you know, contact tracing sidelines. So I'll be really interested to see how we look at the season now going into the season to what it looks like at the end. I think it could be even, I think it's even more unpredictable than in previous years, just based on what we had last year. Sure. I have yeah. uh, I've got Iowa winning this one 24 to 20. I think it's actually going to be a closer game than Scott. I could certainly see 
Scott scenario happening as well. Um, I think the key for Indiana to make this a game, Scott, is to withstand that early barrage. I think first game back in Kinnick, crowd, mm-hmm. there's the, the energy for Iowa is going to be able to, to feed off of that. And if it gets up a couple scores, um, it could be a long day. Indiana is going to have to weather that early storm, so to speak. Um, this was – I did these on, on uh, September 11th, Scott – or not September 11th, excuse me, August 11th. Um, So these lines may have moved since then, and I don't have all of them, but for this game, and and people will be able to, people can probably look this up, but it was was Iowa minus five at that point. Mm. Um, Let me look and see if I can find. So do you think it'll be a backdoor cover then, or a backdoor uh, loss? Yeah, I'm not sure how that'll happen. I would stay away from this game, though, from a betting standpoint. I don't know what the total will be, but I would be inclined to take the under here. I think it's going to be a lower scoring game. I've got it at 44. I don't know where it'll come in in terms of the over under, but I'm with you. And Indiana's got to be able to run the football. If it can't run the football, it's dead in the water. So those are two things for me. For Indiana to, to make a game of this, withstand the early Iowa energy feeding off the crowd, um, because if you get down two scores, you get to the end of the first quarter, people are waving at the children's hospital, you're dead. <laughs> Pretty much you're, you're, you're dead in the water. So that and being yeah. able to at least run the football a little bit and stay away from three and outs against Iowa's defense. And they can't really afford to run the football with Michael Penix. Um, Now he can scramble, but you know, his yards weren't great last year. He wasn't like, you know, Antoine Randall L or anything like that. So that's why I have it at 24, 13, Iowa. I I think Iowa last year proved it could compete against and and beat decisively good teams. Uh, Not to say that this is the same team. I think Iowa can struggle a little bit uh, offensively especially in the passing game, because this is one of the best secondaries. Well, there are two of the, frankly, two of the best secondaries in the country uh, on the field, uh, Iowa's and Indiana's. And then I think, uh, you know, Micah McFadden is a terrific linebacker, but so is Jack Campbell. The world just doesn't know that yet. I I think this is, uh, you know, I I feel pretty confident for Iowa in this one. And, And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'll admit it. And I'll say, you know what, I got to completely reevaluate what I've seen, but but based on what I've seen and what we know about these players and the, their past performances, I like this team a lot. And I think that they, uh, they win again, you know, I guess we differ a little bit on, on the outcome other than the, the victory part. So uh, I, I think Iowa can win this game in, in convincing fashion. Yeah. And these are always the toughest ones to predict. Cause you just, I mean, we all have, you know, uh, in our mind, what we think the team's going to look like and how it's going to, you know, how it's going to unfold on the field. But really the first, and especially this year, the first couple of games, Scott, will give us a good idea of what Iowa football will be like this season. Although, you know, even an 0-2 start, I know would be catastrophic for the fan base. It would not be the death of this team because it's got a relatively easy path after that. Um, in this league, but let's not get too far ahead of ourselves here. Um, week two at Iowa state. My Lord. 
there will never be a bigger Cyhawk game than this one ever. Um, and that, you know, and especially if Iowa state tumbles down with the big 12, um, it won't, it just really can't ever happen again. So based on the fact that both teams win, both teams ranked in the top 15 at Ames, um, I think this, this is sets up to be an epic collision that even two years ago pales in comparison. This is a, an incredibly veteran Iowa State team. The 19 returning starters from the team that won the Fiesta Bowl that looked really good late in the year and looked really, really bad early. Oh my God, they look terrible. But a veteran quarterback, four-year starter, one of the maybe the best running back in the country, maybe the best tight end, one of the best middle linebackers. It's going to be tough. This one is going to be a battle on each and every down. And we know the passion with which Iowa State fans and the players and certainly Matt Campbell will want to beat Iowa. I think I, I see this going to overtime. I think Iowa State wins 26-23. I think it's probably a situation like 10 years ago, 2011, where they went at overtime. And I, uh, Iowa kicks a field goal and Iowa State scores a touchdown. And uh, so – I have the Hawkeyes losing to the Cyclones on the road in a very tough, hard-fought game that should really just serve to motivate rather than demoralize this team and this program going forward. Yeah, I'm with you, Scott. I've got Iowa State winning 27-24, to 24, so close there. I just looked up at, uh, at the Elite Sportsbook in Riverside, and if anybody from there is listening, this would be a wonderful podcast to sponsor. <laughs> um, Wow. When I did my, as I said, I wrote my previews on August 11th. It was Iowa State minus five. It is now Iowa State minus seven. Wow. A touchdown at the Elite Sportsbook in Riverside. Um, That's incredible. That's a lot of points, man. I got to think that that, I mean, is there a time where I, I mean, I guess we can go back to the 70s um, that Iowa State was favored. Mm-hmm. By that much over Iowa, I, I know it hasn't happened in the Ferns. Yeah, right. I, I just I never seen. Uh, yeah, it, it's, I think the last time they were favored was what maybe two thousand one, if I remember yeah. right. You know. Yeah, because um, they had won what three in a row at that point. Yeah, that was yeah, yeah. last year, right? And then the first two Ferns years. Yeah, exactly. So uh, this is it, it. That's a surprise, and I just see that now. It's uh, at at two thousand, uh, and just I don't know, man. That's crazy. <laughs> I, I look at it this way, Scott. If you're just looking at this, we never know what's going to happen. I know it's cliche, you know, when these two teams meet, throw the records out the window. It's just weird stuff happens when you get into a rivalry game. The only way I really can approach this game right now, though, on August the twenty sixth is looking at the game on paper, looking at both teams on paper. Iowa State's the better team. Is it four points, six mm-hmm. points, eight points? I don't know. But just from, you know, being as objective as I can and looking at, you know, Brock Purdy versus Spencer Peters, you know, mm-hmm. and it being in Ames and not Iowa City. I mean, the – I can see people picking an upset for Iowa because Iowa's good enough to win this game and it would not yes. shock me. I'd be a little surprised, not shocked, yeah. but I, I can't pick Iowa to win this game just based on what I know going into this game. I may feel differently after the first week. 
chances are Iowa State will play like crap against Northern <laughs> Iowa. Seriously, they yeah. always do. Their first games of the year under Campbell or anybody has just been like, what are you guys doing out here? And then they come back and, and you know they'll be ready for this one. There's no question. And, and talking to the players, you know, a lot of times it used to be kind of a – they would talk about Iowa. They would not talk about Iowa at all. They just have no interest in it. So you, they have a different vibe and an attitude. They look at their big picture. And, and while you were talking, I just looked it up the last time Iowa State was a favorite against Iowa was 2000, and that was uh, and that was only a two point favorite. <laughs> so that's wow. yeah, pretty incredible, really. Uh, so this is, uh, you know, I, I, yeah, Iowa State is the better team. It's the more complete team. You go player by player, position by position. Outside, you know, even you know the ones that Iowa may be better at, they have something to counter with. Um, you look at Tyler Linderbaum, best center in the country. Well, Colin Newell's pretty experienced now. Is he mm-hmm. Tyler Linderbaum? No, no way. But he's experienced, and he's going against an inexperienced unit. Uh, you look at Brock Purdy, very experienced, and has done a lot of good things. Has a lot of comebacks. He, you know, he's not afraid if, if if they're down ten points at home. They don't go, oh, crap, and here we go, and we're, it's all over with. I mean, they actually uh, play at a high level. They got a great wide receiver. Brees Hall, you know, Tyler Goodson's a great running back, but Brees Hall was a consensus first-team All-American. So, you know, Sam Laporte is a great tight end. Well, Charlie Kohler might be the best in the country. So it's just you have that measure up. That said, yeah, Iowa can win this game. Iowa can – if Iowa forces – you know, runs the ball with authority like they hadn't seen – physically dominates forces turnovers makes big plays on third down sure but i think it's 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 more of a stretch to see that but i do think it'll be a very competitive game yeah i think the thing i would say about looking at these two teams i think both are really talented and iowa may end up proving to be the better team yes in the long haul but right now iowa state has more proven talent Iowa, Iowa's guys, whether it be, you know, along the defensive line, the new tackles on offense, those guys have to prove themselves still. Iowa State has more proven talent right now um, that we know who they are. Exactly. That's why I just I have to give the edge to Iowa State today. Uh, you know, as you said, maybe after the first game we'll change our mind, but we've seen it in the past where they played like played horrible against Northern Iowa, especially and then come out and beat in Iowa, you know, now, you know, the past really has no bearing on this game, you know, cause they didn't even play last year. And, and the, the recent past is more important. And even then, you know, what happened in 2007 doesn't really matter, but it's a rivalry. So we always harken back to those games and it's just, I, I expect both teams to be at a fever pitch. I expect Iowa to walk in there like, come on, bring it on. We're ready for you. And, you know, you got to come and take it from us. And, and that's the way they should be. They should walk in with swagger that they are Iowa. They are the State University of Iowa. And I think it's, uh, it's going to be a four-quarter brawl and maybe a fifth-quarter one, too. <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I think the whole, the whole world will be watching this game. It will be exciting, and I think we're all excited to watch it. Five-game winning streak in the series by Iowa after uh... – the Cyclones had won three of the previous four meetings. Kirk Ferentz, 12-9 and nine overall against his in-state rivals. So yeah. 
that everybody will be looking forward to that after we get through the Indiana game. I'm glad Indiana game is first to kind of, so we're not two weeks build up to the Iowa state game. Um, yeah. Scott, I think we can say, uh, I, I feel confident you'll agree with me that Iowa will beat Kent state and Colorado state. So I don't <laughs> think we need to analyze those too much. No, I, I would say, I agree with you on that. You know, the one thing is they're, they're both better than people probably think, especially Kent State. Kent State offensively, Colorado State defensively. Yeah. So if you put Kent State's offense with Colorado State's defense, then you might have some. Right. I mean, you got a team. (laughs) You know, Kent State averaged almost 50 points a game in four games last year. So good quarterback. uh, yeah, really good quarterback, great coach. I I think, you know, he's on the way up. So, you know, there's there's a lot of factors there, but I think that's like a 41 to 17, 41 to 10 game. And, and I, I think that's the, the final seven points comes against the second and third units. That's what you want. If you're Iowa, you want to get, you know, you bunker down and you close ranks in your first two games. And then your, your next two is when you start to tinker, if you need to, it's like, okay, let's see what we can do with this. Maybe we put Logan Lee outside for a little bit. Maybe we do this. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, or, or Jack Plum comes in and plays tackle more. You know, I think those are things you can do or run Wildcat, uh, you know. And maybe you get some of the true freshmen that you're going to hold the four games on the season. These, those are the two games where you, you probably get a look at them as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, you'd, lo- you'd love it if you could get Connor Colby, Mike Myslinski, uh, you know, yep. David Davikoff in this game. If you could get, um, you know, if maybe even a, a walk-on shows you something. Hey, let's get in on special teams, Jackson Rexroth or something like that. Yep. And, uh, you know, have some fun if you can. But, you know, didn't, then again. Uh, didn't Nick DeYoung make an appearance his true freshman year in one of these Clunker yes, games. he did. Yes, he yeah. did. And, and uh, you know, I, I always said I, he surprised me that he didn't get a full scholarship because he was athletically kind of listed among these elite players. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, he was he went in before some prominent players, kind of right. scholarship guys like Tyler Andrews and them. And um, and that kind of went, OK, ding, the, this guy is on the way up. And then, of yeah. course, he is. and He's got a scholarship now. So, yes, I think that they win these games decisively. Scott and I will preview, preview those and go a little bit more in depth the week of those games, um, but we don't really see the need to do that today um, with plenty more games to talk about. Right. October 1st, Scott, Friday night at Merrill. Do not have a point spread on this baby yet. And uh, this one to me all offseason has kind of been that tricky game. You're – You've had two tough games, then you've, you know, hopefully had two games to kind of iron things out, and then boom, you go on the road. Short week, on the road, different time zone. Got to be careful with this one. This is this game is going to be about how can the defense stop, uh, you know, Tangavailoa. If they can, if they can slow him down and stop him and force him to turn the football over, Iowa will win and maybe in more decisive fashion than they did against Kent State and Colorado State. If not, this could be a very tricky game, as you said, because, uh, you know, when you look at what they did trying to stop the run, and I'll use trying as, as a, you know, giving them credit. I mean, 230 yards per game, almost 4.9 yards per carry last year. Uh, they also are, are turnover prone. They were minus seven. That was 124th and uh, allowed almost 80 yards in penalties per game. Uh, 
Wow. So, so, and they were horrendous on yards per play, almost as bad as Minnesota. So when you look at that defensively, you think, okay, you got a pretty good chance to score some points. Minnesota did the same thing. The one question is, can they slow them down? Can they put, get and defend against Tanga Bailoa? If they can't shoot, you know, they, again, they'll, they'll win by 20 plus. If they can't and you get in the fourth quarter and they blew some opportunities or threw an interception, or we just have a game like we did way back in 2014 where Iowa dominated that game and all of a sudden it's like, oh, crap, Iowa's down. That was um, sloppy. That, yes. that was one of the more sloppy performances I've seen from a Kirk Ferentz team that one out at College Park. Yeah, exactly. And the pick six and everything. Yeah. It was just – it was like, guys, what are you doing? So um, – I, I like Iowa to win. I mean, I'm just going to go with – I think that they might score more points than what you'd like, maybe in the 20 to 24 range. But I just don't see Iowa giving up 30-plus or anything like that. And I think Iowa could score high 30s at a minimum. Because, you know, people do forget last year this team uh, averaged the most points per game that it had since 2002. So it's it's got a pretty potent offense, Iowa does, and returns other than Amir – and Brandon Smith, I mean, returns the, the lion's share of the performance. So I think Iowa scores a lot. It could be north of 45 points. Um, and if they well, can hold a, them. We have a point spread for this one, Scott. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, I'm go ahead. surprised to see a point spread. What is it? Want to take a stab? Minus 11 for Iowa. Close. Good okay. job. 12 and a half. 12 and a half. Okay. Yeah. Would you throw the points? Ugh. Ask me again. Your money. Your hard-earned money after having to redo your basement, although insurance, I'm sure, helped with that. <laughs> they did, but not all of it. But <laughs> now, um, let's. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't touch it right now. No, no I have with you. I would not touch that one either. Um, yeah, twelve and a half. I've got Iowa winning that game, thirty-one twenty-four. I think it's going to be kind. Of, I think Maryland's going to muck it up, and Iowa's going to make some mistakes, but is clearly the better team, particularly on defense. And uh, just going to have to o- overcome just that mood of a Friday night, different time zone. It's not like, and we were there in 2014. It's not like Maryland's is, is a daunting road environment. I, my guess is there's going to be a crap load of Iowa fans there from the yeah, East Coast. Sure. Yeah. And why wouldn't there be? It be, should be perfect weather. I mean, unless there's rain. I mean, it should yeah. be nice at night under the lights, East Coast. This is your chance. This is. This is the, one of the big reasons why you expanded to Maryland and, and Rutgers is to have games like this. And it makes sense. It's just, you know, I, I guess, uh, you know, they do have talent. That's one thing that they do. Oh, he have. recruits they, his ass. You know, and Loxley is a great recruiter. Yeah. He's the type of guy you want on your, like he and like Ed Ogeron to me yep. are like the, they're the recruiting awesome. They're awesome recruiters. They just coaching is a little suspect. Uh you know, Jarrett, you know, the receiver is, is amazing. I just, I wonder if, okay, you surrender one, maybe two big plays and, he, you know, Phil lights a fire in them. Maybe they get to about 20 points, but Iowa can score. Iowa will be able to score with this team. I mean, this isn't playing Wisconsin's defense by any stretch. They were a bad defense. So I like Iowa to score a lot. It's just a matter of, can they just not be, you know, fall in that trap, as you said? It's it's a mental trap, if anything else, where you just go out and you're like, you just kind of like, man, what? it happens to them against Nebraska from time to time. Yeah. And I think in this case, uh, it could happen at, at Maryland. But I, I, I do think they win. Yeah. 
just to backtrack just for a second here and for comparison's sake, Iowa is favored. And this is, again, the elite sports book in Riverside. If you'd like to sponsor the uh, Hawkeye Hotspot podcast, um, Iowa favored by 18 and a half against Kent State. Okay. And then we've got Iowa favored by 16 and a half the next week against Colorado State. Hmm. And then 12 and a half on the road at Maryland. It's interesting. That was yeah, a, that's an interesting comparison. Sure. Yeah, that is. Uh, well, they, they should be. You know, after the way they played last year, I think most, I think a lot of people look at the AP poll and Iowa came out in 18th and went, oh, that's pretty low. I mean, even people that you wouldn't expect, you know, people I work with who maybe don't <laughs> don't give Iowa a lot of credit actually kind of went, oh, that's the team that's too low in the poll. They need to be higher. And, and so I think if they beat Indiana and do it in, you know, convincing fashion, then I think uh, they'll fly up there. And, and yeah, I think that's all, that, those are all really good numbers. And, and then, uh, you know, after the Maryland game, I think there's the one that, I, I look at there, there are going to be three, I project there'll be three slugfests this season, and this will be the next one. One more interesting note before we get off on Maryland. The week before Mar- Iowa goes to Maryland, Maryland plays host to Kent State. So get a little bit of a comparison there. Both teams will have played Kent State going into that game. So a little point of reference there. But yes, as Scott said, uh, one of the more competitive series and really the best series for Iowa in terms of a crossover, I, I don't really think it's even close, is Penn State. Um, mm-hmm. However this happened, whether it's Kirk's connections to Penn State or whatever, this over his career has turned out to be that, you know, with school uh, – Michigan's had some good games too. I shouldn't, I shouldn't completely dismiss that. And Michigan State. Michigan State, yeah. Yeah, but I still think Penn State is the one where um, – just consistently, I would say, through those years has been, a, for the most part, competitive. One team last year, Iowa got the upper hand pretty big, and Penn State's had that up, you know, had that throughout the years. But this one looks pretty evenly matched. And let me check the uh, point spread on this one, Scott, before we go. It is Iowa minus one and a half points. That's fair. Especially at this point, awesome. I think that, yeah, it's a toss up and, you know, Iowa won last year by 20 points. Now that was a, is it, was that an aberration for Penn state last year to lose its first five? Yeah. And I, and that to me, their team last year was one of those teams where one little thing changed everything. And that was, had they beaten Indiana, had they gotten that call in their favor, with Penix stretching over and hitting the pylon or allegedly hitting the pylon. If they win that game, then they feel differently because they knew that beating Ohio or Penn State, Ohio State would be tough, but they figured if they could win in the rest of their games, they play Ohio State tough. They still got a shot at the playoff. <laughs> then you lose by a fraction of an inch, allegedly. Maybe. Maybe. Hey, that was not, that was not as impressive as the CJ Beathard over the top down at Bloomington. No, no, that was awesome. <laughs> I got a good photo of that. Too. Yeah, it was like, but anyway, but, you know, it's like the John Elway helicopter. <laughs> but, 
But then they went and got pounded by Ohio State, and then it was like, all right, our season's over with why are we even playing? Maryland kicked the hell out of them. Nebraska beat their ass, and it was like then then they played a good team in Iowa, and Iowa lit them up too. And then then they kind of said, all right, you know what? We're better than this. We need to act like it. And and then they won some games, and and they won out right after Iowa. They won their last four. So they're four and five, and uh, and and they have talent. We know that, you oh, know, yeah. and they and they have a good coach too. Because you know, I, I brought this up to James Franklin in, in Indianapolis, and and uh, of course, being James Franklin, he said, "Can you say this a little louder, please?" I said, "You know," uh, I was asking about the playoff. I I go, "You know," and four. That's the last five when he years, says, "Can you say that a little bit louder?" That's giving him more time to think. Uh, well, in this case, it was. <laughs> My, I prefaced my question by by saying, in four out of the last five years, if there had been a 12-team playoff, your team would have been in it. And then he interrupted me. He goes, can you say that louder? <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but uh, it, but it's true. It's a, it's a good program. He's a good coach. They've got good players. Last year was a slip-up. It was a crazy year. I give them a pass for last year. That said, um, I'm not looking at that team going, they can, they'll come to Kinnick and beat the hell out of Iowa. You know, uh, every, you know, really there, there've been a couple of big time games one way or the other, you know, last year, Iowa won decisively and 2016 Penn state did when they allowed 5,000 yards. Um, you know, 2012 was one game where Penn state won big. Iowa won big in 2010. As you said, I love this series. It's organic. It's one that, there's no reason for these two teams to be rivals whatsoever, but damn, they play good football against one another and it's a great game. And it's, it, it's ended under the lights every year since 2004. So I would expect it to be this kickoff under the lights this time. And, and I think uh, I've got this one very, very close. I've got this one, Iowa 27, 21, um, and it could be then that's a stretch even to get it to six points. Iowa 27, Penn State 20 is this mm-hmm. one for me. Uh, I think Kinnick under the lights. I know Penn State's won in that scenario before, yeah. um, but I am not sold on quarterback play still at Penn State. I think that's really the difference uh, since McSorley left, um, who was just yeah, a yeah. bitch to Iowa. <laughs> just, um, but we'll see. I mean, you know, Clifford was really good two years ago and then not so good last year. Tanner Morgan's saying we'll get to him, but similar, yeah. just kind of. Um, but really good receivers at Penn State. I, I know Ohio State's loaded at that position, but Penn State is really good at receiver as well. Um, I think a pretty good stable of running backs. Right. Um, yeah, this one should be a this one should be a knockdown drag out fourth quarter, four quarter game. No question. I, I do. I do think that last year probably stung them a little bit. Now, in their case, the week before they play, uh, I believe they play Indiana. Yeah, yeah it's they, Indiana. Play, they play Indiana. So that's kind of a, you know interesting for them. And and they also have a, a pretty, you know, a couple of compelling games to start off the year. They go to two Wisconsin in week one and week three, they play Auburn at home. So there's some really fascinating games for the Nittany Lions. I just, um, this is a prove-it game for Iowa. Yep. This is one I, – I would say Iowa State certainly won, but this one's in league, and it's really important. And it's unfortunate that to me in some ways this is the last one that they're uh, an annual uh, rivalry series um, because I 
what you know how they linked them up was in 2016 when they went to that nine game schedule uh, Jim Delaney's uh, went took the the Big Ten to, to Fox and everybody else and said we will make sure that the, the higher profile teams play each other early in, in, a, in a six game block or six year block Wisconsin Michigan Ohio State Nebraska he did not foresee Nebraska being Nebraska <laughs> Iowa Penn State I mean those are the six big programs and then Michigan State Northwestern because Michigan State wants to play in Chicago and they're not the same division and so then they filtered it down and of course Indiana Purdue has to be uh, that is the only dedicated rivalry right now so I I love this series it's too bad it's ending this way but you know if, if they do change it uh, you know they play once every three years no matter what if they say the same if they change it to say a three games uh, against dedicated rivals, and then you'll play maybe two out of every four years, and, and that's pretty cool too. Yep. We may lose Penn State, Scott, but we still have the original crossover rival in Purdue. Mm-hmm. Now in division, so that's locked in, at least for yeah. now. So mm-hmm. we can say that that's secure um, because we'd hate to lose the Boilermakers because that's mm-hmm. really just – there are so many factors there that make that a natural rival. <laughs> hey, it, it is though. It's weird. They're, they're the Iowa's played Purdue uh, good games, the third, third most times in yeah. school history. They're the third most played team, yeah. and they're barely behind number two Wisconsin. Man. Yeah, and uh, and people forget this, but um, from 1961 to 1980, Purdue won every game, 20 straight years against Iowa. It was just unbelievable, but it was like the longest streak in Big Ten history at the time. And then they finally got through in that 81 year. Uh, Homecoming this year, 2.30 kickoff, Kinnick. They they got to solve this problem. <laughs> they being the Hawkeyes. Yeah. Uh, Purdue has the perfect anecdote to Iowa's defense. It forces you to defend every inch uh, and every blade of AstroTurf and every rubber filament spot. And they have quick, fast receivers. They get the ball out of their hands fast. And then they'll, and the other thing is they're not afraid to attack you down the field repeatedly over and over and over again. And as we've seen, Iowa's given up big plays against them, which it doesn't against really anybody else. Um, but there's no more Rondale Moore. There is David Bell, which uh, I think after the fact that um, as he's walking off the field, I think Iowa should hand him some presents. here here's a rocking chair thank you congratulations on your move to the nfl and two years against iowa scott 26 catches 318 and four scores yes and he's you know he (laughs) single-handedly benched his former high school teammate forced him out of the program yes (laughs) he ruined julius brents as a hawkeye uh, I think he's uh, a special player, and I think that Phil knows that. It's just a matter of how do you defend him without completely changing every tactic that you try to do. Um, he and George Karloftis may be the two most athletically gifted players at their positions in the West Conference, the West Division. Yeah. But what else do they have? They don't have anything else. And Iowa should have really won that game last year and kind of poo-pooed it away. Um, I don't see that happening this year. I, I think this year is, is a different year. I think Iowa wins decisively. I think Purdue may be the worst team in the West. I've got it 41 to 20 um, because last year Iowa ran at will, you know, just stupid mistakes, new quarterback, receivers playing poorly. Amir Smith-Marset played his worst game as a Hawkeye. 
I think this one, they run it up. I've got Iowa 34, Purdue 24. Because mm -hmm. um, I've been to that movie a lot, and I just feel like Purdue's going to find a way to stay in this game um, until Iowa pulls away late. Um, point spread, Scott, 11 and a half in that one. Yeah, it's, I wouldn't touch that one. Uh, I, I mean, I, I predicted a bigger win than that. And now if, if we get to October 10th and David Bell's already opted out to prepare for the NFL draft <laughs> and George Karloftis has done the same, then sure. But <laughs> uh, to, as of today, October or August 26th, I'm not touching that one. And overall, I can't give you a good reason why I think Purdue will stay in this game but I couldn't give you a good reason all the other years since Jeff Brown has come to town that they should have been in the game with Iowa and they stay in the game. But, and again, as Scott said, very, they've got some really, really good players, but overall, particularly on, you know, overall on the lines, Iowa should be a better team and is a better team. It's just stop doing stupid shit. Stop yeah. fumbling, stop getting yourself beat deep, just uh -huh. things like that. And, I give Purdue credit. I mean, Purdue, the game plan drives Iowa nuts. Yeah. Well, Iowa, you know, on defense, is, is the, the thing with Indiana is, and that's why I picked them to win, is that they will stop the run and they prevent high percentage passing on third down. And that's what Indiana is going to – is why they're stuck a little bit. But I look at Purdue, and Purdue doesn't care. And Jeff Brom is so aggressive and, and it's a, it's a great strategy against Iowa. Cause it's like, we're just going to keep gunning. And even though you're playing quarters coverage, that means a lot of times those guys are left one-on-one -on, -one on the outside. And if our quarterback has enough time to at least get rid of the ball, then it's a 50, 50 shot every single time we throw it. And if you got David Bell or Rondale Moore, or even any of the other guys that they've thrown out there, which has been a lot of really good players, um, they connect, you know, remember uh, it was senior day in 2017 when they, when they were there and lo and behold, uh, they threw it to that French guy, Mahogany, Anthony Mahogany. And, and they, <laughs> you want to talk about ruining guys, Manny Rugamba got thrown out or got benched. Uh, Michael Ojemudia got benched and then Matt Hankins got thrown in there. He gave up big plays. So then they flip-flopped the field with Josh Jackson over there. Yep. And it's like, they just kept attacking. They're not like the typical offensive coordinator that goes, okay, we're going to come back to that in a play. No, or in the next quarter or the next half. They're like, we're doing it right now. We're doing it again and again and again until they prove they stop us. And then it did, but it was too late. And, and of course the offense didn't play with a darn that day either. And, and, and so I, I think if I, if Iowa can score, Iowa will win, but just crazier things have happened against the boilers, as you know. Then we hit the bye week, Scott, um, which is a nice, nice setup for Iowa to have that bye week after that game. Uh, it's two weeks to prepare prepare for the game of the year, um, in my mind anyway, as you mentioned earlier. Unfortunately, it's an 11 a.m. kick up at Camp Randall uh, against Wisconsin. Um, look at the line on that one. It is Wisconsin minus four and a half. Okay. That's, that makes sense. You know, yep. that's, that's a weird day. The big 10, when it revised its schedule, I'm surprised it didn't change or alter that a little bit because um, it's also the same day as Ohio state, Penn state. And it's also the same day as Michigan, Michigan state. And, um, and it's also this, 
the World Series is starting, I think, that day. So, or it's, it's going on. It's, it's like game three. So, <laughs> so you're just loading it all up, man. And, and yep. so that's why. Day before uh, Halloween. Right. Yeah, no kidding. At least, uh, yeah, <laughs> trick or treat. You got <laughs> your bags full of treats that day. The this the is full the full size candy bars. Yeah, yeah, no <laughs> kidding. And cans of beer too. So <laughs> <in> Madison <laughs> to stop on the way back a couple of times. Uh, game of the year. Am I am I overstating it? Am I being hyperbolic or am I being right on on this one? No, nah, to me, it's who, the the right to play Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game. That's what this game is for me. At least right as where we where we stand right now. Obviously, you just sports are unpredictable. And you never know what could happen. But as we sit here today, this is the playoff to get to the Big Ten championship. You look at uh, these two teams last year, and uh, Iowa is clearly a better team. I mean, um, proved it. Um, of course, Wisconsin had players out, and COVID really messed with them as opposed to – it messed with Iowa, but it, it was, wasn't was nearly this severe. Uh, yeah, Wisconsin was more in-season yeah. disruption than Iowa. Yeah, they have Graham Mertz having an, an incredible first-game performance, and then all of a sudden he just kind of went yep. – uh, both he and Spencer Petras, people forget, both of them threw nine touchdowns and five interceptions. Both of them averaged 6.4 yards per pass attempt. So um, – it's about growth out of that position, I think, that can determine the difference. Iowa has a better running back. Uh, I'd say Wisconsin has slightly better receivers. I think offensive line is probably a wash or push, maybe. Defense, um, linebackers are pretty close. Iowa's got a better secondary. Uh, defensive line is pretty close. So, I mean, it, it's really – going to be about who maximizes their possessions and who gets points on and, and in this series as we've seen I mean two years ago up there um, it sounded it was so loud that that collision on that two-point can play that two-point conversion play where Nate Stanley got stood up at the half yard line and didn't make it in I was on the other side I was clear in the end zone underneath the goal post and you could hear it it sounded like an axe hitting a tree was I was right on the goal line taking a photo, oh. and it was just a mass of humanity. Yeah, it was just whack. And I mean, it and having in a in a stadium with eighty thousand people, one hundred and twenty yards away, and yet here I am. I'm like, whoa, this is, you know. And uh, but that was the difference between potentially going to overtime for the division title and Wisconsin winning by two points last year. I would took advantage of everything. This year, it's 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 a big one, and. I would say last year was an aberration. These teams usually are, are nip and tuck throughout the entire game, and it comes down to the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, you know, even before that, remember 18, Iowa was leading inside of the final minute, and then Wisconsin yep. scores twice and makes it look like they got beat decisively, which really was – and, and I don't say that to take away any Iowa's performance last year. That Iowa played really well, um, took advantage of the situation, and that's what you would expect. But I think yeah. – I think this one's going to be nip and tuck again yeah. all the way. And for Iowa, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's one up in Madison before. It's not like that's not a, a, you know, a place where there's kryptonite or anything like that. I just, it's almost like these two teams, the home field isn't as big of a deal as it is in some series. You're right. It's the style of play. Yeah. The, the teams are, they're running base teams. 
So they're not having to shout commands and, you know, do get every, I mean, they do, they have to, but it's just, they play a style of football that's run and hit and that really works. <sighs> okay, man, this, this is the game that decides it all. And I've got it written down here. I, all right. Close my eyes. Iowa 19, Wisconsin 16. We're close on the total. I've got Wisconsin 20, Iowa 16. Okay. So, to me, again, toss-up game. We'll yeah. see what happens. It could go either way. Yeah. I, I honestly believe that. I mean, it could be, um, you know, like 2015, uh, <laughs> Nate Meyer knives through the A-gap, forces the guard, right guard to step on the foot of the quarterback who trips when he's trying to hand off the ball and the ball scores free. That's the difference between some of these games. And, uh, you know, even in 2016, when Iowa's uh, offense, let's say, was impotent, is probably fair to say at that <laughs> point. Um, but they were right in it till the very end until Corey Clement was able to break away from Josie Jewell on a key third down. And, and yep. every year it's, it's going to, they're going to play close. So it's going to be physical. And it's going to be about who gets to stop and who gets the, the points. And it could, this game could be one of those where, Caleb Shudek, are you Keith Duncan or are you not? And uh, so we'll, we'll find out. I, I guess I'm just closing my eyes and going, I won last year by 21. Madison's not a scary place. It's going to be a grueling, grueling, grueling fist fight for four quarters or maybe five even. The um, decisive stretch continues the next week, Scott, over in Evanston. Um, We'll see what the turf looks like in Evanston at that point in the season, <laughs> what fits he's got up his sleeve. Um, let's look at the point spread on this guy. Uh, bu, 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 bu. Let's look at the... Iowa is favored by seven. In this one. Okay. That doesn't surprise me either. Well, if it gets past 10, get scared because Northwestern usually screws up Iowa's <laughs> run of uh, season when it's a 10 point it's like 12 point you're like oh god i'll bet on the, the that's the same week iowa week. state plays texas that'll be fun and texas iowa state is favored by four and a half just a side note let's get back to that okay <laughs> yeah i've the wildcats surprised me this off season naming hunter johnson as their starting quarterback I think everybody expected, including myself, that it was going to be Ryan Hilinski. But, you know, Hunter Johnson was a former five-star, looked absolutely dreadful two years ago. Um, maybe he is improved. You know, he was a five-star for a reason. Um, that said, this, this is going to be this – this will be a, a typical game where, you know, Iowa wins when it can actually um, – you know, I think what its last three wins have been really decisive and its last – several losses have been very close. I've got Iowa in this one 20 to six, just because I don't know that Northwestern has much of an offense. And I think it's going to be a grinded out game and it might be 13 to six going in the final five minutes. And then they score a, a clinching touchdown at the end. But I think it's uh, Evanston. It's probably going to be rainy, yucky. Uh, but I think 20 to six is fair. Yeah. It could be similar to what we saw two years ago when Iowa basically played field position. It was like, we're not going to do anything stupid. We know Northwestern's not going to outscore us. Let's just punt, 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 yeah. play field position. I think Northwestern will be better this year. Um, 
Um, I don't think you can get any worse at quarterback play than they were two years ago. Right. Uh, but I think Iowa um, is the superior team here. Not that that's mattered every year. Uh, I've got <laughs> Iowa winning 17 to 13 um, in pretty much an ugly, ugly type game. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I, I think Northwestern obviously lost a lot, like Iowa on defense. It's we'll kind of see where we're at at that point in the season. It's Fitzy, it's Ferentz, yeah. it's we know all the storylines going into that one. And uh, the interesting thing for Iowa is it's coming off the Wisconsin game. What you know yeah. is that a win, a close win, or a close loss? And do you carry that with you to Evanston? Who knows. Right. And, uh, you know, they've actually got a pretty important game the week before, too, and they've got to play against a pretty good running back. So they play Minnesota. Yep. So um, and then Iowa in turn, we I guess, <laughs> right. good, good segue here. Uh, they play Minnesota right after that. Uh, I, so I think that 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 will show us a lot about both teams. The one thing I will say about Northwestern is that, yes, they've been able to replace good players in the past. And they have talent. They really do. They're, they're a competitive team. They've, they've got a great coach. I think we can all agree to that. They get overlooked way too often, and I'm, I'm as bad as anybody about doing that. But losing Fisher and Gallagher, man, they were good. They were good for a long time. They were the reason why they won last year. I mean, because yep. they, they ruined Iowa's running game. And then Iowa, you know, Man, we've talked about it before. You know, Brian called a bad game. He threw his sophomore quarterback against a veteran team with a defensive coordinator who's seen this offense a thousand times, threw him out there and asked him to throw 51 times in a one-point loss. Yeah. That's, that was not a good look. And I hope that's one that he looked back on and went, uh-huh, I need to do better. And not having those two. And Greg Newsom, who wasn't even in the game last year, he didn't get a play, but you know he was a really good player too. They lost their best pass rusher. They're going to be a competitive team for a lot of opponents, and and, and probably Iowa too. But I just I think Iowa's the better team right now. Yeah, I would agree. And uh, as you said, that takes us into the next week on November the thirteenth. The Golden Gophers and P.J. Flett come to town. Iowa is a five-and-a-half-point favorite in that game. So tell me, what do you think? Which teams do you think want uh, to beat Iowa worse, Minnesota or, or Iowa State? Mm, that's close. Um, maybe it's location <laughs> for me, but I would say Iowa State. But it's close. I mean, that's a toss. That is a toss up. Yeah, that's a toss up because they want that pig in the worst way. I know. And and uh, the way they got it handed to them last year, and then of course Kirk's comments at the end, <laughs> yep. which are, are just fantastic, and even a shock to, to Kirk. I mean, I just think that or shocked everybody that Kirk said it. I, they need validation. They need to beat Iowa, and. Their offense is good enough to beat Iowa. Their defense is not. You know, it it has to be better because last year they they were allowing almost seven yards of play, and if you're going to do that, then good luck. And I I mean I think Iowa's clearly the better team going into this season. You know, rivalry games have a weird way of sometimes shake shaping up. The the Gophers haven't beaten Iowa in Iowa City since 1999, and they've only won once since 1989. 
in Iowa City. It's it's a weird vibe. Is that the the annual blackout game? I, I'm trying to remember. Let me look on the schedule. You know, uh, does it indicate that it's the mil? Yep, it is military okay. appreciation blackout game. Time to be determined. Time to be determined. You know, and and it's it's after the night game thing, but yeah. it it both teams can agree to have a night. And it would be make sense if they both did, because I think that would be one that, you know, hey, who cares? We're, we live in Minnesota and Iowa. It's, it's cold out. We're, we're fine with it. I care. I'll be yeah. shooting photos. <laughs> Nobody cares about you, Rob. <laughs> they don't care about me either. I'll uh, wear an extra layer. Yeah, right. Uh, I've, I've got Iowa winning this one, but I think it's going to be a, a fist fight. Better game than last year. Uh, 27-17. Yeah, this is the one where, where I, I've uh... – when people read this, they gave me shit. And I get it. Um, this is the one where I'm just going to pick somewhat against the grain here. Law of averages. I really like Minnesota. Um, what it brings back. Um, a little bit of blind, blind uh, throwing a dart here, but I'm going to pick Minnesota 23 to 20. Okay. So I'm going to give Campbell and Fleck their first. They filled the holes on their residence. Um, so I've got the Golden Gophers squeezing one out here. Um, I see uh, I see Ibrahim uh, being able to, to uh, control the game a little bit with the running game against Iowa's interior defensive line. Um, love his game. So yeah, I, I'm I not really convincing with my argument here, and I could change this when we get to the week of the game, and I'll probably change all of these things as we get week to week. So be prepared. I change my predictions as we go through the year um, in the week of the game once I have more information. But I'm just going to pick the upset here, Scott. Okay. I, I admire you for picking the upset. Although you think about it, oh, and three in trophy games that so far, that's, uh, that's yep. going to sit well. Um, I he, I did the state of the program on the Gophers this year. And so I talked to PJ, I talked to Joe Rossi, their DC. I talked to Mike Sanford, their offensive coordinator, all of them for about half an hour each. Went through their roster. Their defense is something that to me is just, it's what's keeping me from picking them. Because they would be a trendy pick for the West for me if it, because mm-hmm. of the offense. Tanner Morgan, yeah, he can have a bounce back season. Although Chris Oppenbell got hurt but not severely i think he's okay though right yeah they just don't have a lot of you know their receivers have kind of taken a step down certainly from bateman and johnson over the last two years abraham i i picked him for my player of the year in our athletic uh poll and they have the most veteran offensive line that you'll ever find um they have nine guys that have like at least nine starts career-wise. I mean, so they're going to be able to lean on some teams and be real physical and and pound the ball and score. And even against Ohio State in the opener, I thought about it. I'm like, man, that might be a team that could cause some problems. But their defense was so bad. I mean, here you know, here are just some numbers that just why I, I pause with this. One is yards per carry last year, 6.3, 124th in the country. If you're giving up 6.3 yards per carry, then um, – you you better score 60 points. Uh, you know, passing percentage, completion percentage, 64%. You know, third down passing percentage, 66%. Um, their 
rushing yards per game, 207. Iowa gave up 107. So they gave up 100 yards more per game rushing-wise than Iowa did. So they they did add a really good linebacker from Abilene Christian, you know, friends with uh, Peyton Manzel. His name's Jack Gibbons. He'll be a good addition to their linebacking core. They brought in um, a couple of grad transfers from NC State and Clemson at defensive tackle. They're going to rotate about 10 guys. They've got their secondary is still pretty young, and especially a corner, they're really inexperienced. I think they're going to give up a ton of more points. Now, if they could cut some of those numbers down, not to Iowa or Wisconsin or even Northwestern territory, but just cut it down, then, yeah, I think they can do that. And if they can put themselves in a position to where they're not surrendering, uh, getting drug up and down the field, then sure, I, I, I could see them beating Iowa. You know, just two years ago, I could have seen them beating Iowa. But until I see these numbers, because I, I think Ohio State could put 60 on them on the opener based on this. A uh, little update from your um, colleague, Mitch Sherman, over at Nebraska. Face masks in elevators in the press box at Memorial Stadium through September 30th. That's got to be coming here, right? Yeah, well, you although, think. although maybe. Yeah, you know, depends on what our governor <laughs> says, right? We're a state institution. Yes. Um, let's move on um, before we get ourselves in trouble on that one. Um, senior day is the next week, and an old friend comes to town. <laughs> Brett Bielema, first-year head coach at Illinois. Um, and do we have a time? Nope, no time on that one. No yet. Probably be an early kick, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, this is uh... – you tell me, but I think this series, the importance of it and the, the rivalry component of it has escalated in the last couple of months. Like it's gone from zero to 60 and, and through recruiting, if nothing else. But then the rhetoric, it's almost it's, it's reaching close to basketball levels already. And because, uh, you know, I mean, Bielema has beaten Iowa for what, three recruits, three out of the four head to head battles that they've gone yeah. through the last couple of months. And he just won one the other day with Brian Allen. Yep. And uh, so they're already engaged in, in, in battles because Iowa was able to go to those small towns in Illinois and pluck out pretty much, you know, for the most part who they wanted. And now it's, that's over. And, and Bielema knows Iowa. And he also knows that's the type of team that Illinois aspires to be. And they can't do it unless they beat, Iowa. Now, Illinois has also gone 20 plus years since they beat the Hawkeyes in Kinnick. They have 15 super seniors. And last year, if the game ended after the first quarter, they would have won. <laughs> but you know what? I, I, I don't think they're that good. I think they're going to be competitive. I think it's going to be crazy physical late in the year. But I like Iowa 23 to 10 um, in just a nail biter, knuckle brass knuckle brawl for most of the game that point spread as of now scott is iowa minus 12 and a half hmm. so yes brian allen jr aiden lockery ian Pugh, and jordan anderson so four okay um, you're talking joliet oak hmm. park uh gibson city and Brian Allen plays at prep school in Connecticut, but he is a Chicago area kid. So, yep, head to head on those guys. And uh, 
I'm kind of with you on this one. I think Illinois is an interesting team this year because of those super seniors. That said, um, I think Iowa opens up a can in this one. I got Iowa 38-13. Okay. Wow. We were all different on this one. (laughs) I just – I think Iowa is going to be more physical. um, And I think at this point, Illinois is going to be beaten down by the time they get to Iowa City. That's kind of my thought process on that. Yeah, I think you probably uh, persuaded me on that one a little bit. But uh, I just – I think right now – you know, if they play today, I think it'd be a kind of close to the best, but you may be completely right where you get into a game like, and then of course, if they lose to Minnesota, they're going to be kind of jacked anyway, as you predicted. So they're going to go in there um, against Illinois after the rhetoric has ramped up the way it has, you know, the, the, the recruiting director calling out Tyler Barnes. <laughs> it's going to, yeah, exactly. I enjoy so, that stuff. Do you yeah. think, this is speculation on our part, or maybe you have inside information. Do um, you think Illinois is negatively recruiting against Iowa? I do. I do too. Yeah, like they're one of the one of the three programs that have targeted Iowa, you know, pretty heavily. Actually, it's interesting when you've got a graduate of the university doing that to his alma mater. But yeah, um, I don't I, know. All fair yeah. and love and war. Yeah, this isn't. Yeah, exactly. And and you've got it. Recruiting. We've seen it and heard it before a million times that recruiting damages more relationships than anything that happens on the football field. Oh, yeah. So you know, because you are in. Yeah, that's this is the one way to make inroads, and you know, in order to win those, you can't just sell a vision of Illinois. You got to do some other things. So, yeah. Um, so the finale, Black Friday. At I'm interested to see what the hell we're going to be running into over in Lincoln. What type of condition <laughs> that 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 whole scene is going to be? I mean, what, where where are we at with you know? Is that is it the is it because remember when um, Mike Riley we went over there and it was kind of his last whatever, and it was just Nebraska was on fumes at that point. <laughs> I wonder what we're going to get over there this year. Well, remember it was like 14, tied at 14 going into half. And then Iowa scored 42 points in yeah. the second half and, and ran for like 300 yards. It could be that, or it could be, they, they, they could be fighting. I, I, I kind of think that they'll galvanize a little bit. This, this game on Saturday between Illinois and Nebraska to me is, will tell us a ton about both teams, frankly, but especially Nebraska. If Nebraska loses, then this is going to be a really difficult ride for him. And I don't see him lasting much longer Um, because you just can't get through year four. (laughs) It'd be 12 and 20 going into year four and then be four and eight again, and then have him go, well, we think he's on the right track, you know, no matter what the Omaha world Herald writes sometimes. But I I think it's, uh, uh, you know, I, I like Iowa decisively. Again, I think last couple of years has been almost an aberration. It's been close. Iowa played its worst game last year and won uh, 26-20. So I think this time Iowa goes out and punches them in the nose, 34-17 in Lincoln, extends the series winning streak to what would that be? Seven games. So, um, you know, I guess, uh, and, and, and in the meantime, it's, and the way I've got it, 
that ends at 11 and one regular season, West division champions undefeated in the big 10 and ready to play Ohio state in Indianapolis. And you heard it there, write it down. Scott's got them going undefeated. Um, so the Big Ten and, and uh-huh. playing Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship. So uh, after the end of this, and uh, <laughs> when, they go seven, when they go seven and five, and they bet <laughs> on the games individually. I didn't say they'd break, you know, crack the spread. No, I. Uh, this point spread is interesting, Scott. What is Iowa it? minus a point and a half hmm? in Lincoln? Wow. Mm-hmm. Now, if, if I was in this position that you're, you've got him at, which is what eight and three, going to Lincoln, I could. I see do have them winning this game, thirty to twenty-four. So I have okay. them nine and three, seven and two. Okay. Uh, Nebraska could be in that five and six range, and they they actually have you know an interesting schedule because I think you know you look at who they play and when they play them, obviously. Illinois this week is is a, just a massive important game. Must win, happen. really, don't you think? I mean, I I know the you know World War II was a must win and, and shit like that. But I get that, but yeah. in the context of sports, I, Nebraska zero and one losing to Illinois under a first year coach. I mean, I guess you can recover from that, but they've got really no momentum at all going into the season, and then you you don't even have a chance to gain momentum where you should here. Whereas Illinois, I think, can just play loosey-goosey. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, why not? I mean, go out and have fun and, and beat them down if you're Illinois. And if you win, what an um, emotional lift. And I think, <laughs> judge from some of my conversations with Iowa fans, this is one of those games where you wish they both would lose, <laughs> you know, in all honesty, because <laughs> there's no advantage either way. That's you know? not possible. I know, but it's it, it, <laughs> a lot of a lot of fans. On th- they there's that natural hundred year rivalry with Illinois. They hate Illinois, and it just has never really been prominent because Illinois has been good enough to hate football, basketball. They've always been good enough to hate, but now they really hate them again. And and so, oh, do you really want Belama? You know, and, and after this, Belama plays you know, Texas, San Antonio and Virginia and Maryland and Purdue and Charlotte, man, they could be five and one, six and oh, what's that going to do for recruiting? You know, so there's a, there's a real disadvantage to saying Illinois winning, but then, you know, then you think, well, Nebraska, Nebraska loses. God, that's, you know, that's even funnier, you know? So that's not my point of view. I'm just throwing it out there for what other people think. But From a gambling perspective, Scott, Nebraska is favored by seven points. The total is 55. Hmm. So expecting some points in this one and expecting that's a pretty significant favorite for Nebraska, a touchdown. Yeah. uh, I think uh, anybody should just remember what happened last year. Illinois had a coach it fired and they won by 18 at Lincoln. That's really all you need to know. Um, now, Link, uh, Nebraska may have a better team. I think they do. I think their defense is better. I think they've got some playmakers that they feel good about on offense and, and a quarterback who's entering his 7,000th year. Uh, but is he, said, is, he a, is he in the Heisman discussion? Oh, no, that was a couple years <laughs> That was a couple years ago. You know. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, uh, man, it's tough. But So I, I think uh, I've got Iowa going to – Playing Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship, 
and I have them losing by three um, to the Buckeyes. Oh, that would be – oh, talk about a kick in the nuts, man, after losing 2015 on that – against the way it lost to Michigan State. If Iowa loses by a field goal against Ohio State, man, we're going to have to – we're going to have to block off the bridges, I think. People jumping off into the Iowa River. Yeah. Well, I, uh, hopefully it's frozen. Well, maybe it's frozen by then, so people wouldn't want to get cold before they die. But they can uh, Clarence, the angel. <laughs> yeah, you'll just, you'll just you'll just see a, a shit ton of professors <laughs> running around ringing bells. <laughs> For all you young people that don't know that reference, Google. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know if young people even listen to us anyway. I know they don't know. We're just we're just two old dudes now. But, <laughs> but yeah, can you imagine that? You just see, um, you know, like five hundred professors ringing bells running across the bridge. You know, then all of a sudden. But uh, yeah, I've got the nine and three and seven and two in a really good bowl game. Um, which one, Citrus? Yeah, I think it's Citrus, or maybe the Outback. We haven't been there in a while. <laughs> but there are new ball games too now so who knows maybe you get a trip to charlotte where's charlotte and vegas where, it's, where? Ve- it's vegas this year okay it's vegas i'd yeah. be okay with that vegas yeah. in december oh yeah I, I would be for sure i mean you know really it goes down where uh you know the champion probably if it's ohio state like that they probably they'll go to the playoff and or the rose bowl so if they don't make the playoff, they'll go to the Rose Bowl. So I have them in the playoff, and I have Iowa in the Rose Bowl. Um, then and then you know then there's also the Fiesta and Peach would fit into that as well. Um, so if, let's say they lose, and uh, you know, but I, I can't see the Rose Bowl jumping Wisconsin ahead of Iowa if Wisconsin went, if Iowa went head to head, unless that's their only loss of the year or something like that. Then they'll mm-hmm. lose the rankings. But even then, they'll go well. Head to it's head hard. on the road up there. It's hard to, to yeah. do that. But yeah. Um, so I've been playing Utah in the Rose Bowl and winning 31 24, 12 and 2, ranked uh, fifth in the country to end the season. So, um, which would be the crowning achievement in the Kirk Ferentz career, which is to win the Rose Bowl and get in the top five. Um, Did he ride off into the sunset after that, or is he back in 2022? He's back. He's going to be back till 2032. How old would he be then? Would he just turn? Is he 66 now? He's 66 now. So that would put him at uh, 77. So he'd be getting into uh, what? Bill Snyder territory. <laughs> yeah. He's no, in better shape than me, so I'm not going to doubt him. Yeah. I don't, I don't think he'll go that far. No. I don't think so. No, Let's jump into some fun here to finish up, Scott. Um, Let's go with our MVPs for Iowa on offense. Scott and I both agreed it would be Tyler Linderbaum. So we're going to go beyond the Tyler Linderbaum offensive MVP and pick our next MVP. Okay. Non-Tyler Linderbaum MVP <laughs> is what this award is called. All right. I'm going to go with running back Tyler Goodson. I think Tyler Goodson will run for 1,200 yards this year. Uh, if healthy, he'll be a, he'll, for the second straight year, he'll be a – um, all first team, all big 10 guy. And I think he's got a, you know, a really good chance to end up in the discussion for the dope Walker award, either as a semifinalist or a finalist. I will go with everything Scott just said. I've got Tyler Goodson as well for, for those very same reasons. Um, after seeing him at kids day, and let, 
barring an injury, which obviously none of us wants to, to see happen. And mm. fingers crossed it doesn't happen because that's a right. very physical position. Um, all the talent in the world. Um, and I think this offensive line, at least initially, is going to be better run blocking than pass blocking. Um, so even if teams look to load up to take him away, I still think he's going to get yards. And uh, eventually that'll open up too, um, because I think I was going to be able to throw the ball as well. So defensive MVP, Scott, other than Jack Campbell, who we both think is going to be the defensive MVP. So the non-Jack Campbell defensive MVP of 2021 goes to? I'm going out on a limb and I'm going with, Big Ten co-interceptions leader, Riley Moss. I like I think, it. I thought about him. I think teams will attack him. He plays right corner. Um, he looks like a mark, and he's proven that he's not. He's got six career interceptions. I think he doubles it this year. I think he uh, has one, at least one pick six for a touchdown. Um, you know, I'd like to pick somebody up front to go with sacks and stuff, but – it's a little unpredictable on that realm. So I went with a D back who I think is going to have a big year statistically. I'm also going to go with a D back. Um, the, the most versatile of the D backs, Dane Belton. Um, just, I think this is his season where he becomes part of more of the big 10 and national national consciousness of uh, showing how good of a player he is. Um, but the, I think there are people – I thought about Jack Kerner, uh, you know, as, as important as free safety is, and I think he's really good at the position, really has grown into that position. I thought about Moss as well and some defensive linemen, but I'll, I'll go with Dave Belton on that spot. Uh, breakout player on defense, Scott. Well, uh, Jack Campbell doesn't count here either. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm going to go – I hope this counts in this category, but I'm going to go with Kayvon Merriweather. And I think he is uh, on the verge of being one of the better safeties Iowa's had in a long time. He's an incredible athlete. He's shown it time and time again. He took his game from being athletic – and in the right spot, making the right plays that this year, I think he takes his game to that next step, which is be a difference maker. And, you know, maybe he doesn't get the same amount of interceptions that Riley Moss gets, but maybe he gets two, but maybe he also forces a fumble or two. He gets, you know, a games where he gets high number of tackles, eight plus per game, plays good coverage, has a couple of lethal sticks. I think he's uh, that guy that I think goes from being a guy to, Okay, this guy can play, and he's a guy you gotta, you know, he gets mentioned when you say, "Hey, who's the top three defenders on the defense?" He's a guy that you think about mentioning. Like, like that pick a lot. I'm gonna go on the defensive line because I think somebody needs to break out here for Iowa, yeah. and I'm gonna go with John Wagner. Okay, um, like what I've seen with him from him in the spring and in the kids' day. Um, good pedigree there has worked his way up the depth chart. Um, waited his turn. Um, I think he's a solid player. I, I'm not saying he's going to go crazy with sacks or anything like that, but I think he's going to be the diff- a difference maker on that front and be able to bookend with Van Valkenburg to give Iowa two solid defensive ends. And I'm still concerned about the tackles, but that hopefully that we'll see where that goes. I do think that they are – you know, like 
the the guy that I put on there that the most impactful player on defense to me in, in an important way is YA Black. Because if he can play well or at least to go out there and eat up quality snaps and, and do some good things, then this defense is radically different. Yep. Then I have zero fear that this defense won't be a upper echelon defense, but if he can't, and you know, then we're just trying to project guys and we're trying to say, yeah, well, what, you know, can Logan Lee be like Sam Brinks? Can Noah Shannon be like Nathan Budgeta? Can YA black be like, Cedric Lattimore and, and you're going, yeah, but you need a little bit more in some yep. cases. Uh, you know, I look at John Wagner and my comp for him is probably about Brian Madison. And I think if he could go out and play like Brian Madison, you're in good shape. You know, it's just, you got to have enough of those guys, you know, Van Valkenburg. I don't know. I mean, different position, but if he could play like Carl Kluge, you feel pretty good. And, um, and they're not as dynamic at ended as they've been, obviously, no. because I mean you're talking about guys that are in the NFL now, but um, I think they're solid at defensive end. Yeah, I don't think it's going to hurt them, and I think those guys will come up with their fair share of plays. I'm with you. You know, it's it's Black, it's Noah Shannon, it's Logan Lee, Logan Jones if he can make it back. Yeah, Lucas can you Van put to- yeah. yeah, Lucas? Can you put together? almost, I don't want to say competent, but maybe competent defensive tackles when you're not getting gashed in the middle of your line. Right. Can you get guys to go out there and do their job? And statistically is not, statistics are not to be worried about when you're You're not going to have Davian Nixon. No. Two gap defensive tackle is not required to be a two sack a guy at game day or, you know, more than just a couple of tackles, you could get to about three tackles per game and do your job and dominate the line of scrimmage because it's about tying up the blockers. It's about eliminating those gaps and squeezing those gaps to the point where bam, there's Jack Campbell. And uh, I talked to, I think it was Noah Shannon about this. And he said, the whole goal is to, I want to make sure that, that Seth and, and Justin and, and Zach or and, uh, Jack can go in there and have 17 tackle games. Yep. That's the goal. And if they play that role, then they're in great shape. And if they can get pressure from the outside, which I think they can. Now, I don't know if it's, we don't have Epineza. We don't have Anthony Nelson, you know, Chauncey Golston, probably not, nope. but Wagner's pretty good. And I think Joe Evans also brings an element. And if they can also get contributions from these, cause I think their younger players are on the verge of being outstanding at, in yep. a couple of years. Damien, Deontay Craig, I think can play um, Lucas Van Ness. I, I think there's, um, you know, Ethan Herkett, they love that guy. They think he's, cause yep. he's just a, he's a Parker Hesse guy, maybe, maybe even a little bit more athletic. So They've got guys. It's just they're going to have to use them like hockey line shifts. And if they can, if they can come to play and not get dominated, uh, week two is my concern for them, at least until they get into the meat of their schedule. If they can hang on week two, then I think they'll be okay. Breakout player on offense, Scott. I want to ask you if Sam Laporta counts. No. No? Okay. Two years starter or, or right. a year and a half starter. All right. I just, uh, I was taking it from the, a guy to a pretty good guy. Mason, yeah. Mason Richmond's my other guy I wrote down. Um, good your freshman. 
played the entire practice at left tackle. He looked good. Watched your awesome videos that you put up. And uh, I'm like, okay, this guy can play. This guy can play and he can play now. And he's probably the best option at that position. Because uh, I know, you know, Justin Britt has been out a little bit. It, it's not serious from what I've been told. But um, there's no reason you never move a, da- a tackle to guard ever. Not like that. You know, so unless you've got your number three tackle is just kick ass, you know, so I got Mason Richmond as my breakout. Justin Britt is, is, was the guy I was thinking about, but I do know that he's been kind of dinged up and he's dealt with injuries before. Um, I kind of like him if he stays healthy, but I will go with Josiah Mehman. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Iowa's going to need some depth at that position. Um I really like Luke Lachey, and I think he's going to be a, a contributor as well. Just think my Miami's a little bit more advanced and dynamic at this point, and I think um, I think he's going to turn to me. I don't know how big of a you know breakout it's going to be, but I just think he's going from pretty much no, somebody who nobody knows to making some plays to where he becomes a name that people know. Yeah, right. No question. But I would say Britt, if Britt if Brit can play start to finish, I think he's my breakout guy. I look at this offensive line that if he can play and uh, play in week one and week two especially until at least Kyler Shot gets back and then, then they do some sort of rotation then or whatever, uh, I really like it. I mean, based on what I saw Richmond be able to do against some really good players. And, yeah, he gave up a couple of rushes, but by and large he – he did it. He fought, he held his own. He looked good. And to see him out there doing that, to see, uh, obviously Linderbaum is the machine. Um, uh, Cody Ants, I think is one of the best guards in the country. I think Brent athletically may be better than all of them has those tools anyway. And, and Kyler shot is, is certainly a tough <laughs> Nathan budget type. He's kind yep. of my prototype, you know, too short squatty doesn't look like an NFL guy, but man, he goes out there and fights and does what he asked him to do. And then Nick DeYoung is, is looks the part right now. You know, yep. is he going to be good? Is he, you know, what do I put him in a category? Can he be like Cole Croston? Mm-hmm. You know, except Cole played left side. Can he play right side and do that? Could it be Marcus Zusevix? You know, if he can do that, then they're fine. Brett Van Sloten. Yeah. I think he's more <laughs> athletic, uh, yeah. but, but Van Sloten, like, uh, <laughs> Brian Ferentz told me, he's like, he goes, you see him. He was so awkward. He was the ugliest looking tackle I had, but he would do anything to, to beat your ass in a game. He, he goes, and, and I love that guy. So, yep. you know, and, uh, so yeah, if you can get something out of that, you can, you can survive and, and they're going to get beat on some plays. I mean, there's some good players out there, especially those first two games. And I just, uh, I like this team. I like this team a lot. And before the season, I was in that camp, even south of where you were, where I was like, I could see this team playing really well. I could also see this team seven and five. Yeah. But the, but the more I watched them and I was like, okay, they've got some holes, but are they that big? Are they that prominent? Yeah, we'll know in week two, but is that going to derail their whole entire season? And what happens if they actually get good? It yeah. can happen. You know, what happens if – Logan Lee, who has the most giant hands I think I've ever seen, you know, comes out there and, and stays healthy and he's just a, a machine, you know, they, <laughs> you got him and YA black side by side. That's, that's a pretty big tandem. So I like this team a lot. 
let's finish up the pod with some fearless predictions, Scott. We'll do three each. Um, I will start, and I will say, much to the disappointment of a faction of the fan base, Spencer Peaches will start every game this year at quarterback drive. Hmm. That's yeah. yeah. If he does and they win all these games, will people still be good, upset? If they do, if he does and they go eleven and one or nine and zero, I have I predict there'll be uh, more fans in his uh, on his bandwagon. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would agree with that. So, um, good one. I I'm going to go with Jack Campbell will be the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. I like it. And, and if that's the case, I was going to have a knockout defense. Yeah, and that and the problem and any concerns at defensive tackle will be answered if he's the defensive player. All I have to do is tie people up and and hold them enough to where they don't get caught. Let Jack cook. Yeah, yep. Just let let him eat because <laughs> when you you know like I I was talking to Brian uh, Ferentz and he's like we were just talking about something. He goes, look at that guy over there. He's like that is the most impressive looking linebacker I've ever seen. You know, and he was talking about the 2008 uh, Patriots. He goes, he would have been the most impressive looking linebacker we had there. Uh, He's like only Willie McGinnis and junior Seau I've ever seen are better. And you look at this guy, six, five, runs like a deer hits like a train. I mean, he's like a, man, I, I, I'm trying really hard to hold and not make it look like hyperbole, but damn, the comparisons aren't anybody Iowa's ever had. They're not Chad Greenway. Mm-hmm. They're Brian Erlacher. <laughs> you know, and, and now granted, he's not a Hall of Famer by any stretch. He's barely played. But that's the comp for him size-wise and, and position-wise and, and what he's capable of doing. It's not, you know, he's taller than Greenway. He's faster than Greenway. He's more athletic. He's Josie Jewell intensity, but just different, better athlete. And so that's why I think he's got the opportunity to be the most dominant player on the defensive side in the Big Ten this year. And you know how that works, too. He's going to have to rack up a bunch of tackles because people just look at statistics sometimes when they vote for that thing. So Um, my second will be for just the second time in the KF era. I will average 200 or more yards rushing per game. Wow. I really think that this offensive line is built to run block. I think I was very deep at the position. Um, I think Goodson obviously leads the way, but I think Kelly Martin uh, and the two Williamses uh, <laughs> are capable as well. Um, I think they're going to rack up a bunch in those week three and four games as well. Um, But I like this rushing attack. I think Iowa's made necessary progress last year, and I I think it takes a step forward uh, this year in that regard. All right. Well, uh, my second one is that um, Caleb Shudek will kick four field goals at Wisconsin to win that game. It'll be, uh, you know, I have a 1916. I think this is, that's his breakout game. That's his game that will go down in, in history as the Caleb Shudik type game. And it might even be an overtime field goal to win it or something like that. But yeah, I think he's, uh, he's going to do everything it, it, that it takes to be a good kicker. And I think he's going to single-handedly basically push a team over the top. Uh, and it might be in that Wisconsin game. 
And, I, and I'll predict if that happens, like Rob Howland and Daniel Murray and Keith Duncan and all the, the kickers that never have to buy a drink in Iowa City again, he will fall into that. If he does that at Madison and that's enough to win that game and they win the division, uh, he will have that honor in town. Can you imagine if uh, if Rob Houtland had NIL in 1985? <laughs> <laughs> he, he probably already got hammered for free, but he'd, he'd get hammered and get paid for that night. You know? <laughs> My last fearless prediction is one that I hope comes to fruition more than the other two, although I hope the other two do as well. Iowa will not forfeit any games this season due to COVID-19. I think Iowa gets all 12 regular season games in this year. Um, maybe that's wishful thinking. I don't know. Uh, but I have confidence. Some of it's luck, I understand. But I think this team's pretty close. I think they care about each other. I think they're going to do the necessary things that will not cost them a game. I'm not saying that they won't have a game that they win by forfeit because of somebody else. I don't think they're going to cost themselves. Yeah, I agree. I think they sounds like they're back on the right track that, you know, once that everything happened in Indianapolis and that got, you know, that sounded as bad as it came out that they tightened some things up. So hopefully that's the case. And, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say that uh, Kirk Ferentz will win his fifth big 10 coach of the year award. And uh, I would, I should hope so if they go 11 and one in the regular season or win the West, <laughs> that that would be the case. But yes, I, I think he's going to be once again, uh, you know, 2000, what, two, four, nine, 15, and now 21. I, I would say Kirk, uh, you know, probably removes all doubt. I don't know whether or not he's a, he's a hall of famer. Some high expectations this year for Hawkeye football. And when Scott and I reconvene, Next Thursday, September the 2nd, we will be two days away from the opener against Indiana. Um, looking forward to it. Looking forward to get back into game week next week. We'll have Tuesday's press conference. We've got assistant coaches on Wednesday this year, press conference available, press availability. We'll preview the Indiana game. Uh, we'll have plenty to talk about next week, Scott. And who knows, maybe something will happen with the Alliance. You never know. <laughs> they'll just be <laughs> in one big division and uh, you know so yes no more yeah. conferences yeah no more conferences i mean well you know i might as well add well you know iowa versus pittsburgh again you know so i think they played pittsburgh more often or just as often over the last uh you know 15 years as they have ohio state so you know that's uh that's what we'll see so yeah it's uh I'm excited, you know, two days before real football, preseason football is cool and all, but, but I, with preseason football in the NFL, I just catch myself really paying attention more to the Iowa players, even over my team. Cause I'm like, after, especially the other day, it was, it was a, just a God awful performance. They look so bad. Mitch Trubisky just runs all over them. I mean, it was 34 to six at halftime and he had like five or six scoring drives. It was like, God. Yeah. So I did watch that, unfortunately, but, but other than that, yeah, I mean, I was like, Oh, Beathard's playing for the Jaguars. He looks pretty good. And that's what I follow probably most closely. I agree with that. And you'll be able to hear 
Scott and I commiserate over our shitty NFL teams this year. The Jets are losing guys left and right. Um, play for the draft pick again. Don't get Zach Wilson killed. That's pretty much the uh, <laughs> – that's the plan for the Jets in 2021. So we will be back next week uh, to talk about the Indiana game and everything Hawkeye. Um, thank you for listening this week to the Hotspot Podcast. And uh, have a good last weekend without Iowa football for a while. And we'll talk to you next week. Say goodbye, Scott. Bye, Scott.